Hey everyone, we are back and I'm back with Jeff. And uh, thank you, Jeff, so much for joining us again, for serving Wellspring at this time. You know, yeah, I'm happy to it's be been, it's <laughs> so awesome to be with you. And um, yeah, we're continuing Revelation. And uh, last time we spent a lot of time actually, even in chapters four through five, uh, and we just really touched the surface of it all. And so to think that we're going to cover the rest of the book of Revelation in another hour. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> At least not with depth, that's for sure. <laughs> but there are, I think we could cover definitely enough things to at least get a, a flavor of some of the things that uh, John is writing about and uh, what he saw. And, and just as a, just to really give this disclaimer both Jeff and I were talking about this and we are both amillennialists so that gives you a little bit of an idea of our perspective where we're coming from some of our presuppositions and for some of you that means something for some of you you're thinking what in the world does that mean anyway we'll talk about that as we go into chapter 20 and we talk about uh, our views on the millennium but with that said if I if you wouldn't mind if I could pray for us and then uh, we'll begin. Yeah, let's do it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, it is truly a lamp unto our feet, a light into our path. It, that uh, thank you for this wonderful book of Revelation that you gave as a vision to John to show not just John, but the church of the full reality that this world is not our home, that there is an end of the days and the beginning a new beginning, a new dawn, a new creation that you began at the cross and it continues on even to this day. Actually, you began it even from the beginning of once the fall happened, there was a plan before the foundations of the world. And so we thank you that nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand because Jesus of all that you have done for us. And so as we look into this wonderful book, would you give us insight, give us humility, Help us to recognize that we do not have all the answers. We trust in you. You are the God who knows all things. But we also have our mind. We have your word that helps us to interpret itself. And so we, we just really ask for your leading by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Jeff, last time I talked about the fact that we're going to be covering a number of different topics. Um, for those of you who are watching and listening, as always, feel free to ask any question and we can stop and even as the, you know, with, as time sort of leads us, we'll, we will answer some of these questions. Uh, I'll also be referring to some articles or we might refer to some books or authors. And if you want a repeat of that, we can also recommend some of the books that we know uh, regarding these topic topics. So I'm just, sorry, let me just type this in. And uh, yeah, so let's just get down to it because we don't have that much time and uh, there's a lot to cover. So last time I had said that we had talked about the 144,000 mm -hmm. and then we're moving on to chapter nine and all the different trumpets. Uh, there's a lot there. We're, we're not going to cover that, but I wanted to go into Satan, his role. 
um, specifically, John begins to really go into Satan and, and describing him in different ways, uh, starting with chapter 12 and then moving, uh, moving onward all the way through to chapter 13. And, and then obviously even all the, way, all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation. But just very quickly, Jeff, what are your thoughts about Satan, the dragon, this woman, there's a lot of lot of going on. There's also a war that that John speaks of between Michael, who is also referred to in the book of Daniel, and Daniel definitely has a significant role in the book of Revelation. Ezekiel does, Daniel does, Zechariah does, but without a doubt, Daniel is very significant for Revelation. So, just wanted to get your big overview: is what your thoughts about Satan, his role? this war that's going on. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think Satan's obviously, you know, really prominent. Um, he is, you know, featured here as a dragon, uh, which harkens back to his role as the serpent um, back in Genesis 3. And, you know, John explicitly makes that connection between the dragon and that serpent of old, the devil, Satan. Mm. And, um, you know, in chapter 12, there's this vision of, of the woman and the dragon. And the, the woman, um, just maybe just read a, a couple of verses yes. to get a sense of, of who she is. Um, verses one and two say, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And then it goes on to describe this red dragon who comes and tries to devour the woman's child. And, you know, throughout church history, there's been a lot of questions as to like, who is the woman? Um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people will go to Mary as, as a, an obvious, you know, answer. You know, she's the one that gives birth to Christ. Satan and mm -hmm. Christ are kind of locked in battle. That, right. that makes some sense. Um, but I think the, the, putting Mary in that kind of exalted place of being clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars doesn't mm -hmm. quite match with Mary as like the specific, mm -hmm. you know, specific woman. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there we're talking about the people of God as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. Old New Testament, um, you have the, the, the bride right. of Christ, so to speak, who yes, is, yes. you know, this, this exalted female figure. And Satan and the Bride of Christ are are locked in battle, and and from right away, you know, she's going to give birth, and the dragon tries to devour the child. Um, she runs away into the desert. She has a period of 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 hiding. Um, the, the, the Satan's still prowling around, looking to devour her, and um, and and then it kind of goes into the scene of of the battle between uh, Michael and and Satan. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, you know. Satan's clearly a powerful figure, right? Um, he's described, let me, let me see. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? In, in verse four, you know, she, or sorry, verse five, she gives birth to a child who has a rod of iron, which is clearly, you know, Psalm two, mm -hmm. uh, reference yes. to Christ, but, but also, you know, God's people united to Christ. There's kind of that, yes. that both of those things happening, but verse four, it says that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And I think the, that, that vision 
and then coupled with the vision of, of the war with Michael in heaven, mm. I do think that's, that's where we get um, the idea that like Satan rebelled against God, Satan took angels, angels and stars mm. are often equated, especially in the mm -hmm. Old Testament, you know, it was the star, the morning stars were singing for joy mm -hmm. as God created the world. Um, mm you know, the angels are there giving praise and glory to God at the very beginning. And so Satan brings with him a third of the angels uh, out of, out of heaven. And, you know, he's cast down to the earth by Michael and the other, other angels mm. who, you know, fight Satan in that, in that mm -hmm. battle at the mm -hmm. end of chapter 12. Mm. Mm. No, that's good. You know, when you're talking about this, it makes me think of it just to step back. Cause we talked a little bit about it last time and, it really does impact a lot of what we're going to talk about moving forward is just our hermeneutic regarding the book of revelation, because uh, there are very different schools of thought when it comes to interpreting revelation. One is much more of a, actually very interesting, um, you know, gospel on gospel coalition today, you know, Kevin DeYoung had a, an article on uh, revelation and he was talking, he just gave a quick summary on like the, just the preterist view um, the idea that John is writing to uh, interpret the modern day events of John. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the mark of the beast, you know, it would, the preterist view would sort of believe that 666 refers to Nero. Yeah. Like it's the, the historic character of Nero, or it's all about the temple. Everything's about the temple. Mm -hmm. And then you have more of the literalist view, which is, more of a pre-male dispensational Hal Lindsey late great planet earth. Now, okay, That's so yeah. yes, we're not exactly, I mean, we are almost the same age, but not really the same age. <laughs> I wish I was your age. Damn, I know I look older than you, but, uh, <laughs> but you I, age worse than you. <laughs> medically predisposed. <laughs> you know, when I was young, Jeff, that book actually was popular. The Good Lake Great Planet Earth. Yes, I know yeah, that just sounds. Yeah. I, I know. yeah, you probably I the Left Behind so, series. Left Behind series was my jam. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. So we have. I'm. I'm putting this all into the comment section. But basically, the Late Great Planet Earth was uh, my generation's. When I was in, you know, elementary schools, your generation's left behind. And it's the, you know, it's the, oh, everything is literal. Everything is literal symbolic. You know what I mean? Where uh, we have the, um, what do you call, sort of like the, the barcodes are now the mark of the beast. And, you know, the witnesses are this and everything's about Israel. You know, everything's going to happen in Israel. So that hermeneutic, though, it defines, actually, I, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, mm. and yet they had a literalistic pre-mill dispensational view of the apocalypse, which is very interesting. There was no sense of consistency between what they actually thought theologically and from a theological framework, and, and then how they're reading scripture. And maybe, because I absolutely agree with what you said about and it makes so much sense. But why do you and I, why do we read it? Like, why do we have that hermeneutic revelation? Because I would say most people read it say, 
this is scary because it's a literal view. Right. And they see this woman, they see a dragon. So everything's about the dragon. You know, there's like, what is it that you would say to someone who is approaching the book of Revelation uh, from the from a more of a premill dispensational view that you would say, no, you don't want to read this book like that. It actually can lead to serious problems. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's a great question. And honestly, like, you know, just tell a little bit of my story real quick. Um, you know, I grew up in, in a very similar, you know, environment of just hearing a lot about the end times. The end times is very scary. And mm-hmm. you know, I, wa- I did watch um, that movie. Um, Thief in the Night. Thief in the Night when I was out youth group. Youth group right? so, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, I, I could be a poster boy for evangelical <laughs> Um, but what 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 I it wasn't until I was out of college and read a book called The Unfolding Mystery by Edmund Clowney that really traced the narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation and Mm -hmm. showed how all of the different Old Testament stories that I read read and grew up on all pointed to Christ, that, that everything in the Bible is about Jesus, that, that Christ is, as John 1 says, he is the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the, but the word is the, the central element of, of scripture, like it is the word of God, Jesus is the word of God, and that was intentional on John's part to choose that word to both harken, to harken back to the Old Testament. So, you know, I took a, a revelation class from Steve Baugh at Westminster, and one of the first things he talked about when he, when he, you know, introduced, you know, how do we interpret this book is that we need to have our perspective on the end times already in place before we mm. get to revelation. Mm. And he said that because, you know, there, there's a, there's something in, in Christian theology called the analogy of faith that um, scripture is supposed to interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and when we when we come to a, a section of scripture like Revelation, that is apocalyptic literature. It, it's a special kind of genre that is very specific to the Bible and and a few other outside texts. Um, but there's it's not like everybody walks around writing apocalyptic literature. You have prophetic literature, you have you know, poetry, <laughs> you have historical narrative, and then you have this weird thing called apocalyptic. You don't go there looking for you know your whole perspective on the end times, you read the clear parts of scripture to help you interpret the less clear parts. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure Revelation is a less clear part of scripture when it comes to interpretation, right? I mean, like it's such a weird kind of genre of literature. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't start, you know, you, you wouldn't teach a, a science class in, in poetic meter, right? Because poetry doesn't help you understand science very well. You know, in the same way, you wouldn't go to you know your your doctrine of the end times only to Revelation because it's like trying to teach science and poetry. Um, they're just kind of two. It's not that they're two different genres, but but the the, the genre of apocalyptic is so mm-hmm. much more difficult than the historical or the the parables that Jesus tells or things like yes. that, that that illuminate this book. And so yes. we said last time that that you know the Old Testament is more present in Revelation than any other New Testament book. Mm-hmm. And so I really do believe that you have to read the Old Testament and let that help you understand Revelation, mm-hmm. read the Gospels, read the, 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 the letters to help you understand Revelation rather than reading Revelation back into those other books. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. Yeah, that, I think that 
it's so critical, like the idea of recognizing the genres of the different books of the Bible, because you mix that up and you really can do some real misinterpretation of the Bible. Yeah. Um, I mean, reading Psalms as though it's prose can lead to some real problems when it talks about the, you know, the outstretched hand of God. And suddenly we're thinking God is, has a body, you know, right. or, right. you know, so recognizing there, there is a, a, an importance of understanding genre. So no, that's good. That helps a lot. And I just want to uh, give that as a disclaimer, because I think that that's important for us because we're speaking on those terms much as we talk about it. So, you know, what's interesting is, yeah, sorry. I just, just to, just to add real quick, like, I think we do read Revelation literally. We just, we just read it literally for what it is mm-hmm. rather than misreading it in a different genre. Like we don't read mm-hmm. it like it's history or we don't read it like it's a, a literalistic telling of what's going to happen in the future. Right. We read it as right. what it is, which is a right. highly symbolic genre of literature right. that doesn't tell state things mm-hmm. super clearly like a historical mm-hmm. narrative would. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a, maybe a helpful mm-hmm. way to, Yes, yes. This topic, I mean, it could be its own discussion topic, right? Because <laughs> I mean, we could, I mean, talking about genre, talking about hermeneutics, especially when it comes to scripture, because obviously then it, you, you can go down a rabbit trail of, okay, if there is symbolism, then can you make everything a symbol? And then it becomes, well, what about history? Is it historical? I mean, again, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> it's very deep. Um, it has its own topic. So just as a presupposition, we, we want, I wanted to lay that out because we're going to be doing a lot more of that when we're talking about this woman or, you know, the, this battle, you know, there's a battle going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is one area where I think it's, I don't think we um, want to minimize that there actually is a battle. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not as though it's, oh, it's, um, it's just a mythology, much like Zeus and, you know, well, because when Revelation is talking about a battle between Michael and his angels fighting Satan, that there is a spiritual realm. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter six, and that's not a mythology. That's an apocalypse is not myth- mythological. And that's important because I think people can look at this and go the other extreme and think of it that way, right? Where Because you made a very important qualifier is that while we're saying that there's symbolism, we're not saying it's not literal. It's that there is, um, it's important to understand the, the symbolism in its right way, but recognize that we're dealing with, um, in some sense, a, a time frame. Like it's, there is a redemptive, historical redemptive time frame that's happening with real life actual consequences such as battles um, a spiritual realm right would you agree with that yeah absolutely i mean i think like as soon as you said you know there's a real spiritual war going on i immediately went to we don't wage war against flesh and blood but against you yeah. know principally it's that ephesians 6 passage that tells us to put on the full armor of god yes um, and i think it's like the way that we engage in that war like more light is shed in this in this passage because in chapter 12 it, it says um, you know, verse 10, the salvation of the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who mm. accuses them day and night before our yes. God. And they, the brothers who Satan accuses, 
They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. And so I think it, it sheds light on how it is that you and I as the church engage in that spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not, it is, it is, you know, in part at least by living holy lives of obedience to the Lord, but but even further than that, it's by the the, the word of our testimonies, by testifying mm-hmm. to Christ and what he's done mm-hmm. that we engage in that spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. And so if we're silent when it comes to the gospel, if we're silent about Christ, mm-hmm. Then we're not, we're we're sitting on the sidelines. We're not engaged mm-hmm. in the battle, mm-hmm. or we're, we're letting the, the enemy win. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as we engage, as we you know tell the good news to our neighbors of, of who Christ is and what He's done, that we're right. engaged in that spiritual battle. Right. You know, it's interesting. I and I, just to push that even further is when I he, read that passage that you just read. I mean, I learned a few things about Satan right there. One, he's an accuser. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is accuser of the brothers. Um, that is uh, really a, a key weapon of his, wow. one of his fiery darts that he throws. And he does it to all of us, right? And it's mm-hmm. just ongoing. And he knows how to push those buttons in a way in which it can really bring you down, mm-hmm. even to depression, despair. Um, but to think that he's gonna be thrown down, you know, like that's, this is not how it's gonna end for believers. The second thing I think that's interesting is that you're absolutely right. Like the testimony of uh, the word and testimony of Christ, but they love not their lives, even unto death, meaning that there are some who have lost their lives for bringing the word and the testimony, right? Of, and uh, to think that Satan actually has that, um, that power. I, I took a class when I was at uh, Trinity and um, it was actually, there's this one class on spiritual warfare. And, you know, I thought it was going to be like, Oh, demons everywhere. But what was interesting is the professor, it it was not like this mystical mythological class about spiritual warfare. It was much more about what the Bible says the devil's power is, which is his number one power is deception. Mm -hmm. And his whole point was that if we underestimate the power of that deception because if the devil can convince somebody, let's say a Hitler saying, Hey, you know what? These Jews, they are evil or this world, you can conquer it. He has the power. The devil has the power. If he can convince the right person, he can do severe damage. And in that sense, we we should never underestimate the power of the devil to be able to, connive, deceive, convince, and in that way, have real power even to kill and destroy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I think what's what's interesting, and this is kind of going to going to play out as we get into the beasts and those different mm-hmm. things, is that Satan does, he doesn't, he doesn't rule over this world, but he has the power to deceive the rulers of this world. Yes. And, and he is his power is intimately aligned with the powers of this world. Right. And so those, those places like in first John, where it tells us that we're not to love the world or the things of the world. Right. Uh, it's because it's not because the world as God created it is evil. It's because Satan's influence is over the power of the world and all mm. the places in, in all of you know, the Psalms and all these places where, where God's people are oppressed or are crying out for God to do justice and, and bring his, mm. bring his judgment on, on their enemies 
Satan is the one who's behind the powers of this world that would oppress the people of God and right. stop us from bearing witness to Christ and stop us yes. from you know walking in his ways and, and, and obeying him. Yes. So, so I think I think that that power of deception is, is incredibly powerful, not just in, in the political sphere and, and the, the real you know physical ramifications of that, but also in our own lives. Yeah. Where we, you know, are so susceptible to just just a little bit, just a half yeah. truth, just just a little, yes. little you know, divergence from the path. Um, the, the the path to following Christ is straight and narrow, and just a mm -hmm. little bit to the left, and all of a sudden we're we're on the wide and narrow, mm -hmm. and broad way to destruction. Right, right. I mean, when you think about how powerful deception is, and to change even one person, a Joseph Smith, mm -hmm. you know to impact that one man right. and how many people led astray or a Muhammad or a, or a, a Siddhartha Gautama, you know, uh, you know, it's like you have these world religions that one person has a vision right. and it all takes is just one person to be changed and it can dramatically impact the world in ways that we could never imagine. Right. Someone asked the question of Satan in terms of his, is he omnipresent? And the way that I understand, tell me if this is what you, I see it as, no, Satan is not omnipresent. He is an individual being, a created being, but he does have his angels. And so therefore, and many legions could, because, and so um, I do think Satan, because he is one created being, he does save his deceptions. Like he has, time for and he has the ability to impact significant people yeah. such as jesus you know tempting jesus or or maybe judas you know but generally it's his demons who are at work and at play deceiving this you know conniving and doing all the work and having a this plan we'll, we'll talk about it more but i i don't see it as oh satan is omnipresent only god is omnipresent right no, would you I, agree with that i think that's absolutely right and and I think one of the one of the reasons that you know you, you asked about Satan and talked about the dragon a little bit in, in chapter 12, but Satan doesn't creep me out. I, I don't want to take him lightly by any means, mm -hmm. but he doesn't scare me in a in a visceral way because he is absolutely one of God's creatures. And we don't understand why God would allow him to go as wrong mm -hmm. as gone. And we don't understand what god's purposes are in allowing so much evil you know that comes from satan to enter into the world mm -hmm. but we do know that he is he is under god's authority and yes. as we'll get to later like i believe he is bound now and, yes. and he's essentially a dog on a chain yeah that's that's hard to to put your mind around again like why would god keep a dog like that uh -huh. but you know it, it allows us to then say, you know, with James, count it all joy when you when you meet trials of various kinds, because God is, is using the trials, using the temptations, mm -hmm. using the, the challenges that we all face mm -hmm. um, to, to to refine us and to sanctify, mm -hmm. us, to make us more like Christ. Mm -hmm. And so there's this element of, you know, like I love Martin Luther and the way that he mm -hmm. talks about Satan and how he, mm -hmm. he throws things. Throws the inkwell. Oh, right. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, or even more. He, he farts in, in yes, he does. direction, you know. Like, like that, yes, he, like he does do that. <laughs> so I mean, he 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 wasn't afraid of the devil in that way, even though like 
for Martin Luther compared to us 500 yes. years later as modern people, like the yes. idea of Satan's like a little bit, you know, nursery rhymey, you know, fairy yes. uh, for, for Luther, he was like, no, I saw him and he was across yes. the room and I threw things yes. at him. Yes. Uh, but even he wasn't afraid in that way. And I, and yes. I think in the same way, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Yes. Nothing to fear. Yes. Yes. I'd say a 43, like God is with us and he won't allow us mm. to regardless of what we go through. Mm. Oh man, we have a few questions about Satan, but I, can't, I don't think we have the time for it because we've got to do so many other things. So I'm going to move on to um, the mark of the beast, because I think that that's something that I'd like to cover very quickly. Um, and that is in the end of chapter 13. Uh, also, I'll start at verse 16. Also, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. I know a lot of people are scared of the number 666. Oh no, that's my house number. You know, <laughs> What am I going to do? Uh, what do you well, think? The, the big thing to avoid is like to get any kind of computer chip implanted in your life. So if anybody tries or if they take your thumbprint, you know, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm on your forehead, especially uh, <laughs> on the forehead, not on the right hand, not on the forehead. Um, no, I think just like God's people were sealed in Revelation chapter seven. Yes. The people of the 144,000. Exactly, 144,000 yes. were sealed with the seal of yes. the lamb. And, you know, the lamb is breaking seals on God's, you know, plan of redemption for all things in, you know, five, six, seven, and then in eight. Here in chapter 13, you have, and uh, it's like the... St. Augustine thought that there was no such thing as evil, that evil was just deprivation of good, right? Mm -hmm. It was a corruption of good. Yes. So, so evil is a non-entity. Evil does not exist, strictly right. speaking. It is yes. a corruption of the good things that God has made. Mm -hmm. and, and I think in the same way, Satan in his, and his minions have a parody kingdom, a parody mm -hmm. you know, ruler of, of, of these people, a parody people who take Satan's mark or man's mark on on their hand and their forehead i don't believe again that there's a literal 144,000 that they're literally going to have marks on their head or on their hand you know being sealed by christ i think those are those are spiritual signs and 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 you know symbols in the same way here i don't think we're talking about a literal mark a literal barcode a literal computer chip i think we're talking about people who give themselves over to a world system that would seek to raise themselves against God and, mm -hmm. and his Christ, mm -hmm. right? If you think of Psalm, Psalm 2, we've already alluded to it. You know, the, the question in Psalm 2 is, why do the nations reign and the people's plot in vain against the Lord mm -hmm. and against his anointed? And, and I think in a lot of ways, like this is, a, this is the nations raging, the nations coming mm -hmm. together, taking counsel together, Psalm 2 says, against the Lord and against his anointed. And in order to do that, because evil is a non-thing, it has to mimic the mm -hmm. true thing. It has to mimic, you know, Satan as father, and then you'll have, you know, the antichrist as son, and then you'll have a, a demonic beast as spirit, you know, sort of an unholy trinity of sorts, um, mm -hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, mm -hmm. So rather than saying like, no, we need to be careful of 
technology. I think we should be careful of technology, but for people with different reasons. <laughs> yes. uh, it's not it's not a be afraid of certain kinds of technology. It's it's more of a parodying what the lamb has already done for his people. That that would be the way that I, I see Yes, that. no, that's good. Yeah. And when you think about Satan being he comes as an angel of light. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's all about deception, right. a parody, a uh, taking whatever that is of the Lord and distorting it. Sometimes distorting it just a little bit, mm-hmm. sometimes an opposite. <laughs> um, yeah. Lives are only effective if they have that kernel of truth in them. Yes. I think, I think that's what you see throughout. Yes. Work in the book yes. 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 I think, again, this is one of those things where, depending on your hermeneutic, it, mm-hmm. I mean, this, that would dramatically impact the way that you live your life. Because if you view this from a, and I, I mean the word literal in the more of the, you know, the way that some do view things like this, where they're seeing it as world events, very specifically allegorical, you know, so that there is a BART ship and um, they see it as maybe it's, you know, now a new number that you're going to get, or, you know, there's always something, every generation has a new identifier. And so you have these Christians who are running around like chickens without a head who are trying to always, you know, another chicken, uh, chicken little sky is falling type of mentality. I don't know why chickens are all coming up, but um, (laughs) the, it, it really can leave you to a place of paranoia mm-hmm. and, and fear. And one thing that John talks about in first John four is perfect love casts out fear, yeah. you know, yeah. for us to be so in, you're right about what you said about Satan. We're not supposed, I mean, we are to take him seriously. Mm-hmm. He is, he is on the prowl, but he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. That's not something that John just says lightly. He really knows it to be true. And even if the worst were to happen, which is that we were to be even killed through his deceptions and his evil, but at the same time, there is an eternity, you know, that's not just a mythology. Yeah. So it's the second death. We don't have to be afraid. Yes. Yes. So I think that's so critical. So thank you for that. That really, I think that helps just to just very briefly, but a lot of people have interpreted that number as, very differently in so many different ways. I was like, you had mentioned another way. Didn't you say something that people, how people interpret 666? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think a lot of people, people will, will do different things with it. The, the one that I hear most from commentators that I respect is they, they point back to Nero. Um, but I, I was yeah. reading up on it a little bit today where in order to get 666 from Nero, you have to transliterate his name into, into Greek, Greek from the Hebrew. From the Hebrew. Yeah, it's like, yes. it's like weird, you know. <laughs> yes. so it, it doesn't make a lot of sense why yes. a century, you know, church, and this is this is a letter to essentially right. to a first century church, you know, half of whom couldn't read. Why yeah. would he expect them to know Hebrew if he's writing in Greek and, you know, so on and so yes. forth? Yes, that is the way. It's that transliteration and the numerology of it points right. to, it's like the sixth letter of each. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what some folks do. I think we, we get a little too smart for our own good in, in that. Um, what, what I see it as, is I think it's, it's much simpler. Um, in Greek, you know, the, the, the translation in, in verse 18 that we have in English is 
um, that the, the, this is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Um, but in Greek, the indefinite article a isn't there. There, there is no indefinite article in Greek. There's the definite article, and then there's nothing. So you can interpret it in English as an indefinite article, a man, meaning like yes. a specific man, but a one that we're not referring to specifically in this case, like right. a man, not the man. Yes, yes, man, yes. Um, yes. Also interpret it as man, mankind, humanity. And, yes. and I think if you, if you go there and then look at the number six, 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 well, what do we know about sixes? God made the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh. Seven is the number of completion, of perfection. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen num number seven come up multiple times already. So wouldn't it be simpler to say, you know, seven is perfection, six is in imperfection, six is mm -hmm. a, a parody of God's perfection, a, an attempt to get there, like Babel, you know, kind of mm -hmm. building a tower to the heavens and right. making it for ourselves. So, so wouldn't it make more sense for that to be an interpretation of what human humankind have always done? Ever mm -hmm. since the Tower of Babel, we've always tried to take right and wrong into our own hands, make a name for ourselves and become gods, become like God. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, you know, John is writing during the Roman, Roman Empire. It's, it's a highly sophisticated civilization that's, that's ruled the, no, the known world at the time. And, and it looks like the Roman Empire is the end all be all, like they are ultimate. Mm. But in John's mind, like even the height of civilization, Rome is 666. Mm -hmm. The highest we could possibly get to is still one step short of perfection. Mm. And that, that, that humanity's attempt to be perfect, humanity's attempt to be God is always one, one short. Meanwhile, Jesus in Greek, the, the number of Jesus's name is actually 888. Um, and there's a lot of symbol, some symbolism around the number eight as, you know, Jesus rose, you know, the, the seventh day plus one. It's the, the eight is the beginning of the new creation. Seven days for the old creation. The eighth mm -hmm. day is the beginning of the new. And so, you know, Christ's name is 888. He's one above perfect. He's, he's beyond perfection. He is ultimate. And how did he become that? By dying. The lamb is the one who was slain. So mankind, you know, elevates self through work and striving through injustice and oppression. Jesus, you know, becomes elevated, is exalted to the highest place by the father, having taken on the form of a servant and being, and being killed on the cross. Mm. No, that's, that's, that's good. So, preach, you know, that'll preach. No, that, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I've been, as I'm listening to you, then I'm thinking, okay, there's, there's so much more. And I'm trying to cover <laughs> it the rest in 20 minutes, right? Now, like, now what do we okay, do? <laughs> how do this work? Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Um, I'd like to go, okay, I was going to go to the millennium right next, but let me just do this quickly, which is um, definitively chapter 17 there's a lot in here about this woman. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a woman. And um, again, it's so significant because, you know, you look at, if we were to look at a parallel going back to Genesis, we see, you know, Jesus, uh, Eve who post fall mm -hmm. is uh, God weaves the, the loincloths and 
calls her Eve as the mother, mother of, of you know, yeah, of the living, considering the fact that this is post-fall, right? Mm-hmm. That talk about redemption, you know, and, and God's grace. And it's very interesting is that this concept of a woman giving birth, um, I mean, go moving all the way to Mary, but in between, especially you see it in Ezekiel, you see it in, there's this, always this imagery that comes about. And here we see it just in broad pictures, swaths of this prostitute, you know, and then the beast. And what do you make of all that? I mean, it's so, and then specifically he talks about Babylon. And I think for us in our day, in a modern era, unless you are very uh, into biblical history or ancient history, Babylon is very significant in ancient history, but for us in the 21st century, many people really don't understand Babylon. Oh, there is no Babylon, you know, like there's no actual physical place today called Babylon. So what is this all about? Chapter, um, the, the woman, the beast, and then Babylon, the fall of Babylon. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. So I think, here you have like again satan and his kingdom satan his dominion being a pure parody of christ and his kingdom and so if chapter 12 is about the woman who is the church giving birth to you know a son to a king and so on mm-hmm. and so forth um here in chapter 17 you have a, a another woman who is you know, a prostitute who is, you know, rather than being exalted and being clothed in the sun and crowned with the stars, you know, she's riding on a beast. She's drunk on the blood of the saints. All the kings of the earth have committed adultery with her. Um, She looks powerful because she consorts with the powerful. She, She has power. She's clearly someone to be feared. She can kill. She can do all these different things. But um, it's, it's a parody of the true goodness, the true power that the church represents. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look that way, right? I mean, that's that's what the deception of the enemy, right? Like the kingdoms of this world look more powerful than the church. I mean, mm-hmm. our churches are nothing to get excited about from a worldly perspective, right? You mm-hmm. walk in on Sunday and mm-hmm. you know, what's really going on here? But in the heavenly realms, you know, I was reading this this morning that, that the angels rejoice, Jesus says, when one sinner repents and believes. Mm. So when one sinner repents and believes, there's there are choirs of angels singing hallelujah in the heavenly mm. So this looks powerful. This looks awesome. Um, but it's really a parody of the true thing, the, the church. And it's, it's, it's not ultimately all that convincing mm. because she goes down, um, right? Mm-hmm. So... Where, where's the, where, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm losing my place here. So in chapter 18, you mean with Babylon's fall and. Yes, the fall of Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she's called. She's drinking uh, the wine. All the nations the wine. have drunk. Right. Yep. So she's Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abomination. We learn in chapter 17. Yeah. And then chapter 18, there's almost a song. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great. She's become a dwelling place. Yes. A haunt for everyone. Yes. Yes. And, and, and John makes it clear that like Babylon is the city on seven hills. Like there's a lot of spec. I mean, again, like you read lots of different commentaries. Oh, well, what city has seven hills? There's only one city that has seven hills in the ancient world. There's only one and it's Rome, period. So 
anybody that wants to mess around with like a, a group of first century Christians, half of whom are illiterate, are, are hearing this for the first time and they hear seven hills and they're like, Rome, of course, duh, everybody knows that. So we need to stop speculating. Mm -hmm. uh, but, so, mm -hmm. so Rome is mm -hmm. falling. You know, mm -hmm. like, like that's that's kind yes. of like look at look at yes. how Rome is drunk on the blood of the saints. How many mm -hmm. how many you know martyrs were killed for their faith in the first century by the Roman government? Mm -hmm. Jesus himself was killed by the Roman government. Um, so this this empire looks mighty. It looks awesome. Mm -hmm. The greatest work of man looks incredibly mm -hmm. powerful, but in mm -hmm. the end, it comes to nothing and is destroyed mm -hmm. um, by the, mm -hmm. the saints. Don't you think, in many ways, um, and this is where as a typology. So for example, you would start with starting with uh, Genesis chapter four with Lamech and mm -hmm. the city of man and moving forward from there to Sodom and Gomorrah to climb. Now I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even to today, like this idea of human arrogance before God, the, the, the Babel, you know, and what's interesting the tower of Babel is that's Babylon, the land of, you know, and uh, the, that, that typology that is just running through scripture, city of man, city, city of God, you know, and we're always seeing that throughout and until Christ returns that that is always going to be warring against God in some way. Like, what are your thoughts about that? That Babylon in many ways is not just because it is, it is Rome, it is Babylon and does it it's continue Athens too? And yeah. it's, you know, the capital Persia, you know, I mean, go on and so on and so yeah. forth. It's, it's, yeah. there's, there's always, and, and I think it's, it's, it's really amazing the way that God like weaves that in because it's interesting. Like Cain is the one who builds a city, right? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like Abel doesn't build a city. Abel gets killed. He's, he's the, he's the faithful brother. Cain mm -hmm. goes to build the city after he kills Abel. Um, so like, you know, there's a lot of Christians in, in history that have thought cities were evil by definition just because of that. Um, I don't think so, but still, mm -hmm. like, yes, our, our, our tendency as human beings to exult in the work of our own hands uh -huh. and uh -huh. to, you know, rise up against God um, is, is, it's not that cities by definition are evil by any means, but cities right. represent the concentration of the best work right. that human beings can put together. If you look across the Bay to San Francisco, you see beautiful buildings, tall skyscrapers. You know, uh, all, all of the all the the culture and the art and the sophistication, yes. business that goes into that. And in many ways, all of that is creative activity that reflects the image of God right. planted in us. Right. Yes. But on the other hand, when we in our pride forget God and pursue uh -huh. the earth instead yes. of pursuing Him, are aligning ourselves with Babylon. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so San Francisco is Babylon as well. So mm -hmm. is Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., so is New York mm -hmm. City, so is Paris, so is London, mm -hmm. and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Mm -hmm. Not because those places are evil by definition, mm -hmm. because they represent the concentration of all the best that humanity has to offer in opposition to the kingdom of God, insofar mm -hmm. as we're not submitted to, mm -hmm. to Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. you can say that a lot of the work of our hands in, in the world today are, isn't submitted to Christ. I mean, to make that point as secure as possible, it's a, I mean, look at the new Jerusalem. That's a, that's a city. Right. So if we're, if cities inherently were evil, right. well, what do you do with new Jerusalem? The, the <laughs> new city, right? Yeah. The ultimate city you might say. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not cities that are evil. It's submission to God or lack yes. thereof 
right? It's, yes. It's yes. The city that's built in opposition to the heavenly city. Right. Uh, and, and what does it say? Like here we have no lasting city in, in Hebrews, but we, yeah. we await the city that is to come. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, we wait and, and we, we pine for that day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jeff, I, I, um, I hate to ask you this, but are you willing to do this with me one more time to finish off the rest? Because <laughs> we're already... I was afraid of that. Because <laughs> we can do it in like two minutes, but I'm like, oh my word. It's Because um, I wanted to ask no, you... No, I'm, I'm totally down. Yeah. We totally. Really? Are you sure? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to put you under the gun. I'm literally I mean, I as, far as, I, as far as I'm concerned, like you and I are just talking. So it's yeah, we are. Cool. We are just talking. Because <laughs> if that's the case, then I want to ask you a couple of questions on on um, further on chapter 19. You know, it's yeah. which is it goes back to the idea that there is this prostitute, right? Mm-hmm. But like you said, there is a uh, counter to this prostitute, which is the bride. Mm-hmm. you know the and the marriage supper of the lamb right. it's so funny because i was uh walking um at this was a couple of years ago i was walking at dvc at night i dropped off one of my girls she was taking a class there and i was walking in the evening and then two women approached me and they were uh, asian women they said oh can we show you something in the bible and i was like yeah sure and so they pointed to this chapter you know mm-hmm. chapter 19 verse 6 and they started reading uh Hallelujah for the Lord of God, almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And then, and then they said, did you know that Jesus is married? And I was like, really? What do you mean by that? And she said, oh, she, he has a bride. So she, they started talking about this. They were talking about Jesus being married. He has a, anyway, they're, they're part of a cult. The, you know that Korean cult that got the COVID? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were part of that cult. Really? Yes. And what was very interesting is they were completely taking Revelation and reading it, reading about Jesus has a literal uh, bride. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talked about just the concept of spiritual warfare, deception, the enemy. And I just think, wow, how significant it is when you read a book like Revelation to be able to read it rightly or else you can go down some really dark paths. But with that said, just to uh, understand what is John seeing in chapter 19 about heaven itself and specifically about this marriage supper, like what is it? What, what's going to happen? I know we're going to talk about that much more in chapter 21, but um, why is it such a contrast to what this woman, the, the prostitute Babylon offers that is so different than what this bride, like being the bride actually versus being a prostitute? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what's the difference? I mean, there is, I mean, how, how long do you have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, for one thing, the the marriage supper of the Lamb is such an evocative picture that goes all the way back to, to Eden, and I think I think Eden is where the question starts to get answered. Right, um, God invites Adam and Eve into the garden 
he sets up a situation where they have the abundance of everything they could possibly desire mm. and tells them there's one thing that's not not ready for them yet that they can't mm-hmm. have that one thing and that's the one thing they take that's the one thing they take into mm. their own hands and there you see that human impulse to take that which is forbidden to us to refuse to submit to God and his rule in our lives. Mm. And that, that really is the root of, of human sin. It's pride that says, I can rule rather than letting God rule over me. Mm. And so the prostitute in the same way, the, 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 the rulers and kingdoms and, and principalities of this world are taking power, taking justice, taking all these things into their own hands and saying, I will rule and I will not submit to God. And I know that like there are Christians in government, right? It's, it's not mm-hmm. to say that everyone in government is bad. Christians can't serve in government. Not at all. We mm-hmm. need Christians in government, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say that, to, to say that the government is somehow, you know, that it's yes. holy in some way, it, yes. it would, would miss the, would miss it completely. Yes. Because yes. the government by definition does not submit itself to Christ. Our government in particular is, mm-hmm. is sort of agnostic um, mm-hmm. in, its, in its orientation to spiritual things. And that, mm-hmm. that creates freedom. It creates a space for us to be able to worship so that they're not mm-hmm. saying this, this group is right and that group is wrong. And, and that's a, a God-given thing. We should, we should thank mm-hmm. God for that. But even still, government represents human power that is not yeah. to Christ. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what we, that's what you see here. Right. So the, the, the prostitute takes matters into her own hands, takes justice mm. in her hands and ends up killing saints as a result, ends up, you know, you know, shedding the blood of the martyrs and mm. contrast that with the quiet patience, the, the submissive receiving of the rule of Christ in our lives that mm. we as the bride are supposed to exhibit. Mm. I think, I think, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into gender roles by any means here because it's not really the point. But I, I do mm-hmm. think when Paul says that Ephesians in Ephesians five that marriage is about Christ and the church, that he yes. really really means that. Yeah. Yes. That the wife's role isn't lesser than the husband, yeah. and, and the and the husband doesn't have the right to tell the wife what to do, but the wife is is showing the world what the church is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. church is supposed to be lovingly willingly humbly submitted to christ and his reign in us mm-hmm. and for us christian husbands that's who we're supposed to be we're supposed to be lovingly humbly graciously openly obediently submitted to christ and his rule in our lives and if that's who we are then our wives will probably want to submit to mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. but you know back to back to this like mm-hmm. we as the bride are supposed to be you know, washed by our, our, our heavenly husband. We're supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, reigned over by him because he gave himself for us. Mm-hmm. He loved us to the point of death. And mm-hmm. if you're going to love anyone, you love the person that laid down their lives, like literally gave all for you. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think like, like that's who mm-hmm. we're meant to be. That's what the, yes. the image of the bride kind yes. of evokes. And, and the fact that it's a feast is amazing. And again, yeah. like, like the the Eden was supposed to be a feast, and the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a not yet prohibition. It wasn't a mm-hmm. never ever prohibition. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a don't ever 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 touch this because I'll never let you have it. I'm just going to dangle it in front of you. Mm-hmm. It was a when you're ready, when when the time is fulfilled, then you'll get to feast with me, with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but but throughout scripture there's this invitation to come isaiah 55 come you know those who you know have, have you know have no money and uh, come feast come come drink wine and, and yes. bread and all these things Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus is the one who turns the water into wine. Jesus feeds mm -hmm. the 5,000. Like God's kingdom is a feast and it, and mm. it's, it culminates here in Revelation 19, which mm. is like, it's amazing. Like our God wants yeah. to party with us. Like he wants yeah. to eat with us and dine with us and invite us into his joy. And I don't know why we're all so bummed out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what? Everything you said just makes you it should make us worship yeah. you know it should make us so excited for this day when you i mean and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god then i fall down fell down at his feet to worship him which is exactly the point is when you just understand not just what christ has done but what he's inviting you to what that's not just something that could happen it will happen for his people and John, he can't help but worship. He falls down to worship. And, but the problem is he falls down to worship the angel. And Converse. the angel says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. <laughs> oh, man. That, that, just, that just gives a lot of uh, food for thought, mm. a lot of excitement for what is to come. Um, yeah. Jeff, first of all, Thank you so much for today. Oh, my pleasure. Rich blessing. And uh, it, it, I think that's a great place to end. And then secondly is thank you so much for doing this one more time. <laughs> I think uh, the millennium. I know, I know. <laughs> well, next time we could just focus on the millennium and the new heavens and new earth. Cool. And, uh, and then we're done. Yeah. So thank you for that. Can I pray for us? Absolutely. Father, thank you for my dear brother, Jeff. Thank you for his wisdom, his love for your word. The fact that he pointed us just right now to this beautiful picture of uh, what it will be like one day when we are at the marriage supper of the lamb. Mm -hmm. And the very fact that we're even thinking about the lamb of God who was slain for us, which makes this supper possible. I just really thank you. And like John, not to fall down and worship an angel, but to fall down and worship you and to remember that you have given everything so that we would have life with you. Thank you. I, I pray that as we uh, come together one more time, that you would give us an even greater anticipation for what is to come, not just of your words, but of the reality that we, we will be with you. We are with you now, but uh, that forever we'll be with you with such joy eternal joy. And I give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for joining us and see you next time. Bye-bye.